You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We have three scripture readings this afternoon. We begin with Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And now we go to 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 25. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. 
because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And finally, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation to John, chapter 14. And here we read the first five verses. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. This afternoon we are considering God's word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 43 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved Congregation of the Lord Jesus, during the Second World War, the Ninth Commandment was a topic of a lot of discussion among our Reformed forefathers. When the Nazis come to your door and ask whether you're hiding Jews or not, what do you tell them? Some insisted that you're not permitted to lie at all. They said that you have to tell the truth to the Nazis and let the chips fall where they may. God will bless our faithfulness to his commandments, they said. The ninth commandment forbids us to lie, and so we ought not to lie. Even when Jews are hiding in the attic and the Nazis have come to send them to be gassed at a concentration camp. Others were of a different mind. On Sunday, January 24th, 1943, the minister of the Reformed Church at Amersfoort came to Lord's Day 43 in his catechism preaching. Though Reverend Hallwarda was wise and he didn't directly speak about the issue of hiding Jews, 
Because after all, the Nazis quite frequently came to the church services to listen to what the ministers were preaching. Nevertheless, it was clear that he was giving direction to his congregation in such questions. Reverend Hallwarda, who was later on Professor Hallwarda, taught at the Theological Seminary in Kampen, he took a starting point in the text of the Ninth Commandment. It doesn't say, you shall not lie, but you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. He argued that this commandment is, first of all, about doing right for your neighbor, making sure that your neighbor is treated justly, that your neighbor has a place in society. And while he didn't come right out and say it directly, Hallerdo was arguing that reformed believers, for the love of their neighbor, can hide Jews and hide that fact from the Nazis. By the way, if you're interested, you can find an English translation of this sermon on the internet. All you have to do is Google Hallwarda and Lord's Day 43, and you'll find it very easily. But now you're probably thinking, well, that was a long time ago. Second World War, most of us weren't even alive then. And today we don't have Nazis at our door looking for Jews. However, there are always issues that crop up with us in the Ninth Commandment. Issues of one sort or another, even if they're not of life and death seriousness. Issues like, how do you file your income taxes? Do you declare that extra income you received, or do you keep it under the table? Or what do we do with gossip and gossips? That's a perennial issue. And of course, we could go on. The Ninth Commandment obviously is still relevant to our lives, isn't it? As part of our sanctification, as part of our growth in Christ, our thankfulness for the gospel, again this afternoon we need to consider it. And so we'll consider the Ninth Commandment and its prohibition against false witness. We'll look at three things, the meaning of this commandment, perfect obedience to this commandment, and then finally some of the challenges to this commandment. Well, with the help of Reverend Hallwarda, we've already noted that this commandment forbids false witness against your neighbor. And as we look closer, the first thing we need to note is that this commandment has a legal flavor to it. A legal flavor. In the Old Testament, false witness had to do with testimony in a court of law. If you were a false witness, you made an untrue statement before a judge. And so the Ninth Commandment is, in its basic meaning, about what is just and what is right, promoting justice in human society. And to take this further, we can note that there are three elements in this commandment, as we find it in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. Three elements. First of all, there is bearing or giving false witness. Bearing false witness simply means reporting something that is not true. Deceitfully passing on lies. The second element sometimes captures the intent and the motivation, but it always captures the outcome. And that's in the word against. Against. This is communicating something that will hurt someone. That will be for ill and not for good. Bearing false witness against means passing on information that does not defend and promote anyone's honor and reputation. 
And finally, the third element of the commandment is found there with the object, which is your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony or false witness against your neighbor. And then someone might ask, well, who's my neighbor? Well, guess what? That question has been asked before, and it's been answered before by our Lord Jesus in his well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. The Lord Jesus told us that our neighbor is anyone whom God places on our path. It's very simple. And so from the negative side, the ninth commandment is simply this. We are never to speak words that will attack and hurt those whom God has placed in our lives. The Catechism puts it in a neat summary. I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. It's not hard to understand. It's also not hard to find biblical examples of people breaking this side of the ninth commandment. Well, we can think of what happened with Stephen in Acts chapter 6. The Jewish religious leaders were desperate to crush the infant Christian church. They slithered around behind the scenes and they found some men who were persuaded to bear false witness against Stephen. They claimed that they had heard Stephen blaspheme Moses and God. They were false witnesses against their neighbor. They were out to injure him. And they did more than that because it was their testimony that led to Stephen's death. False testimony can still lead to death. Still today. And here I'm thinking especially of what can happen with bullying among school-age kids. You know what happens when kids are bullied. There's sometimes the physical side, many times the physical side. There are are also often nasty words that are spoken. Some of them are true. Some of them are false. But it doesn't matter. Because the words are meant to injure. The words are meant to harm the victim. And you know that saying about sticks and stones may break your bones and so on? We all know that it's simply not true. Words do hurt. And you've probably heard of the news stories where a kid is bullied so badly that he ends up taking his own life. He ends up taking his own life because he can't bear it any longer. And he doesn't seem to have anyone who will stick up for him. Now thankfully that hasn't happened among us. But bullying does take place. And this could be the consequence. Death could be the consequence. We need to take it seriously brothers and sisters. And we need to do whatever we can to eliminate it from the school, from home, and church. Bullying can have no place in a community of Christians. There has to be zero tolerance. And so there is the negative side of the meaning of the ninth commandment. There's also a positive side, because when God forbids something, he also commands the opposite. When he forbids false worship, he commands true worship. When he forbids murder, he also commands us to love our neighbor. When he forbids sexual immorality, he commands sexual purity, and so forth. And so it is also with the ninth commandment. 
In the ninth commandment, God commands us to love the truth, to speak and confess it honestly, and do whatever we can to defend and promote our neighbor's honor and reputation. In the ninth commandment, God wants us to use our words to build up rather than to tear down. He wants us to serve our neighbor and his welfare. And of course, all of that relates to the second great commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourself. If you love your neighbor, you'll be using your words and communication for his benefit, to serve his advancement. Rather than being against your neighbor, you'll be for her, on her side. And that will be readily evident with what comes out of your mouth. It will be readily evident with what comes out of your keyboard or whatever other means you use to communicate. Whatever the means, there will be edifying words, words of encouragement. Like the others, the Ninth Commandment is not all that difficult to understand with regards to what it forbids and what it commands. Not at all surprising, since Romans 2 says that the requirements of God's law are written on every human heart. The problem is, left to ourselves, we simply don't like it. Left on our own, we prefer to tear down rather than to build up. Left to our own sinful devices and the evil motives of our hearts, we're not for the people around us, but we're more for me. Honesty is what this is about, and honesty begins at home. Honesty requires that we confess our many shortcomings when it comes to the Ninth Commandment. We have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to be honest also before God. We've broken this commandment, and we have, we have only a small beginning of the obedience that God expects from his children. Now, to motivate us and to lead us further in growth in our sanctification, I think it's good for us to reflect for a few moments on the only perfect human obedience to this commandment since the fall. There has only been one man who has perfectly kept the ninth commandment, both in its positive and negative sides, staying away from what God has forbidden and obeying what God has commanded. Of course, that man is our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In all the years of his life on earth, the Lord Jesus never gave false testimony against anyone. He did not ever twist anyone's words. He neither gossiped nor slandered. He did not condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly or unheard. He avoided all lying and deceit as the devil's own work. And he actually exposed the devil to be who he is, to be the father of lies. He exposed those who follow in the devil's footsteps as the devil's own children. Wherever he went, our Lord Jesus loved the truth. And in fact, John 14.6 says that he is truth personified, that he is truth with a capital T. He spoke and confessed the truth honestly. Time and again, you hear him saying in the Gospels, I tell you the truth. And when he said that, he was not exaggerating. He defended and promoted his neighbor's honor and reputation. 
Do you want an example? Think of John chapter 9. And how the Lord Jesus told his disciples that the man who had been born blind, Jesus healed, that man who had been blind was not blind because of his sin or because of any wrongdoing on the part of his parents. Rather, Jesus said it was for the glory of God. The Lord Jesus was the great truth teller for the sake of his neighbor. And in 1 Peter 2, The Apostle Peter holds Jesus up as an example for his readers. And he quotes the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 9. No deceit was found in his mouth. False witnesses were brought against Jesus. But he did not respond in kind. Instead, he entrusted himself to God. And so he suffered and died on the cross. And as he did so, he made satisfaction For all our sins. Also our sins against the ninth commandment. They've all been paid for through him. But there's more. Because all his obedience to the law of God not only qualified him to be a perfect sinless sacrifice. All of that obedience throughout his life is also credited or imputed to us. The good news says that Jesus not only wipes the slate clean, gets rid of all our sins, but he also fills that same slate with all of his perfect merits and righteousness. And so now when God looks at your slate, when he looks at your account or your record with him, he sees everything that the Lord Jesus has done for you. And you're right with him on account of that. You're his child On account of that. And it's in that context that we look to Christ. Again. As our example. As we look to him in faith. We long to follow in his footsteps. We want to be filled with his spirit. And united to him. So that our lives reflect his life. When it comes to the ninth commandment. We want to be like Christ. Who is the truth. We want to be people who hate the lie. And love the truth. We want to be people who use our mouths, our words, and all our communication for the good of those around us. And as we look to Christ in faith, trusting in his perfect work for us, the Holy Spirit, he will work amazing change in our hearts and lives. There will be growth, and we will want to please our Father more and more. And it may be a slow process, and it certainly won't be completed in this life. But brothers and sisters, beloved in the Lord, look to the last book of the Bible, and you know that it will be completed in the age to come. We read from Revelation 14. Did you notice what it said in verse 5, right at the end, about the saints standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion? Someday that's going to be us. John says, no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. No lie was found in their mouths. The day is coming when what we are in principle will also be true in practice for 100%. We will only be saints in that day. Someday we will stand with Christ and we will be completely free from all struggles against sin including sin against the Ninth Commandment. But for today, 
For now, we have a peace that starts a war. We have peace with God through Christ. And now we are called to be soldiers in the spiritual battle against sin in our lives and in our hearts. We have a peace that starts a war. And that can be difficult. This war is difficult because of all the challenges that present themselves. All the enemies that are out there. All their conniving tactics and strategies. Think just of the world in which we live. Someone once said, and I think said rightly, that our culture is false witness friendly. It's true. It's false witness friendly. You see it all the time. You see it in media, entertainment, politics. You see it with non-Christians. You see it with people who call themselves Christians. You see it in us. We live in an age of spin. And the wages of spin is desensitivity to the destructiveness of the lie. The wages of spin is desensitivity to the destructiveness of the lie. And that desensitivity affects relationships with people around us, with our neighbor. And so it would be good for us to self-consciously pursue skills in being able to tell the difference between the truth and the lie, to pursue skills in critical thinking and discernment. And those are skills that are best cultivated in the communion of saints, in fellowship with one another, learning together, challenging one another. And we do that through studying God's Word together and discussing it. And I would put to you this afternoon that that's especially something that needs to be taking place in our homes and in our families. Parents, especially fathers, showing leadership from the Word of God to their children. Critical thinking and discernment is also established and strengthened through reading good Christian books and magazines. Let me ask you, do you have a subscription to Clarion? To Reform Perspective? You read these magazines? I think these would be good places to start. Also, if you're looking for getting ideas of good Christian books. These are the sorts of practical things that the Holy Spirit will use to help you to grow in discernment. So you can tell the difference between the truth and the lie, between spin and sincerity. Loved ones, there are other challenges when it comes to the Ninth Commandment. Think of the materialistic world in which we live. In this world, the bottom line is often king. The world says, hey, you can sacrifice the truth to make a little extra money. Just don't get caught. Just make sure you don't get audited. In the introduction, I mentioned income taxes. Should we be honest and declare all our income? Or can we withhold some? Since the government already gets so much anyway, and we know how wasteful the government is. But here again, brothers and sisters, you need to think not of yourself, but of your neighbor. To be less than totally honest is harmful 
to your neighbor. Your neighbor will end up paying more. Or more likely, his children will. Or his grandchildren. Beloved, think of what Scripture says. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You know where that comes from, don't you? First Corinthians 13, 6-7. And then also, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's Romans 13, 10. Love. Love also needs to compel us when we consider that ever-present challenge of gossip. Now, what is gossip? Well, simply put, gossip is destructive communication about others. Okay, it's simple. Destructive communication about others. Whether it's true or not makes no difference. Okay? Zero difference. If it's destructive communication about others, it is gossip. And the word clearly instructs us to put it off. It doesn't fit with a Christian life. It doesn't belong in the life of someone who is united to Christ. It's not a fruit of faith. It's not a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You read in Galatians 5, you don't see gossip listed under the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to put it to death. So how do we do that? What are some practical things that we can do to put gossip to death in our lives? Well, let me make a few suggestions. And I've mentioned these before, a couple years ago, but I, I think they're worth repeating. First of all, cut gossips off. Cut them off. Interrupt them. When someone is going to tell you a juicy tidbit, did you hear what happened with so-and-so? Just say, you know what? I don't care. I don't want to hear about that. I'm just not interested. And walk away. Second, there are those who want us to gossip. They pry and they probe, perhaps leading you with, or baiting you rather, with leading questions. Don't bite. Refuse to engage them on it. Change the subject. Walk away. Do whatever you have to do. But don't take the bait. Don't bite. And third, as much as it's in your power, refuse to read or to watch gossip about others. You know, many of us think, well, you know, it's okay if we do it with those people who are off in Hollywood or New York or wherever else. And so we, we go through the, the checkout aisles at the grocery store every week and we see plenty of gossip there. All of that's, a lot of that's gossip. It's destructive communication about these people. Brothers and sisters, don't buy those magazines. Don't waste your money on them. Don't pay attention to them. Don't watch the gossip shows. You know, every night of the week you can turn on the TV and there's some gossip shows. Turn it off. And finally, you can put off gossip by sending a good example for others. And here, think especially of your children. And so, for instance, if our children hear us on the telephone engaged in destructive communication about others, how are we to expect them to act and behave? Children learn these things from their parents. 
They have their own sinful hearts, but their parents can set them a bad example. And so, brothers and sisters, as part of your sanctification, put off those dirty gossip clothes and put on the new nature, which is in Christ. Use your speech, your words, your tongue, your mouth, which has been redeemed by Jesus Christ, as we heard this morning. Use your lips for the good of your neighbor and for the glory of God. And all of this is part of waging the holy war against sin in our lives. As you see, our loved ones, our God is a God of truth. His word is truth. His Son is truth. And in God himself, we see truth married to love and justice. And he wants his people to reflect his image. Let's now pray for his help in that. Our Father, God of truth, by nature we confess ourselves to be those who love the lie. We confess that so often we have used our words in communication for evil purposes. We have hurt our neighbors, both with our lies and with the truth. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, who never did any such thing. We thank you for his perfect life and for his death, by which he made satisfaction for us. We ask you to forgive us through him. Please show us your mercy and fill us evermore with your spirit, so that we more and more hate sin and that we fight against it. Help us to put the lie to death in our lives and to reflect your image. Help us with your Holy Spirit to be honest and to be people of integrity, people who are for their neighbor rather than against. Please hear us in Christ our Lord, who is the truth. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.